and welcome to Shelf Impactors podcast. In this, the second episode of season two, I talk with Matt Davis, an incredibly engaging and knowledgeable design thinker. Not only is Matt a superb brand strategist, he is also a writer, author of the book Storyatogy. He's a design consultant, public speaker, motivator, and an all-round great guy. I'd heard of Matt and his former company, uh, Nottingham-based Attitude Design, some years ago. More recently, Matt has begun to carve himself a bright pathway uh, in the world of brand thinking and more specifically, story-based strategic branding. As a design practitioner, and more specifically in my case, a designer of FMCG brands, the thinking behind brand development often referred to as brand strategy, plays a vital role in the designer's creative approach to any project. The information supplied by the brand strategist is used to formulate the brand approach, um, and little to no design can be undertaken without a strategy in place. Now, to put it bluntly, no brand can exist without a strategy behind it, at least not a successful one. Now, in this podcast, we cover all manner of things around brand thinking and the challenges that brands face in today's world. We cover many things, but a few of the key aspects of the conversation are pinned around the commoditizing of design, story-based strategic branding, what is it, influencer marketing, um, Marty Neumeyer, who is the author of The Brand Gap and also a close friend to uh, Matt, Um, We also discuss neuromarketing, blue ocean thinking, and of course, we discuss Matt's book, Storyatogy. Without any further ado, let's crack on with the podcast. Matthew, thank you very much for being with us today and uh, joining on this uh, podcast of ours. Um, I've got a quick icebreaker question for you, Okay. um, just to sort of start our conversation off. Uh, And it's rather random, but this one is, what is your current mobile phone wallpaper and why? Oh, interesting. Well, first of all, Mark, thank you so much for having me on. Big fan of the podcast, and I love what you're doing with the... uh, with the knowledge you're sharing around packaging and design, and so right. s- super honoured to be, uh, you know, here and to share yeah. some share some thoughts with you and your audience. So, what is on my current mobile phone wallpaper? Well, it's actually um, a picture of uh, I've got it here of two of my my two sons. Um, just um, just in front of Niagara Falls. I don't know if you can oh, see it. Oh, very cool. Okay. So uh, so yeah, awesome. they're they're really they're really great, and they're. they're Seven and five, so we, we went over last year to uh, to uh, Toronto and uh, happened to be in front of Niagara Falls. So the reason why it's there is because I love them, really, Absolutely. I suppose. <laughs> no, good inspiration. No, I, I have the same. I have on my, I mean, it's not about me, this one, but I have something very similar. I have my son on my uh, wallpaper and it does give that inspiration. Absolutely. You've got to remind yourself why you go to work every day and get out of bed and uh, ultimately what it's all about. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. So, Matthew. The reason we're here today is I wanted to sort of bring you onto the podcast really just to have a discussion uh, about fundamentally brand strategy yes. uh, and what it means and what it means to you uh, and how you incorporate it into your sort of own career and how it's sort of how, where it's come from. Um, so first off, who is Matthew Davis? What is his background? Where's he come from? And how, he, how have you got to where you are today in terms of your career? Okay, so um, grew up in South London, Croydon. Um, hello Croydon out there um, to working class family really my dad um, was a draftsman um, technical drawing from uh, from a building perspective uh, hard grafter both him and my mum and my mum raised us uh, she was a housewife 
Um, so I was always great at drawing. I got it from my granddad and I was always good at drawing. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, but one day my dad sat me down and he said, Matt, you know, you've got to, you've got to find something where you can make a living, you know, and support a family, <laughs> you know, son kind of thing and um, he was under the impression that I'd only ever make any money drawing if, if I died like Picasso yeah. or <laughs> someone like that yeah, yeah, yeah. so I was like okay so uh, at school I, um, I hunted around desperately trying to find something to please my dad and um, came across graphic design with a careers advisor and um, liked the sound of it um, and the difference I don't know what your thoughts are but the difference for me between art and design is that um, art, which is what I was doing, was very self-expressive. It's quite mm -hmm. a selfish kind of endeavor, in, a, in at least in, in that definition. Um, whereas um, design, when I found design, I was really intrigued by it because it wasn't about me. It was about sharing a message between a company and, um, and their audience. Yeah. And so purpose comes into play. And so that's kind of stuck with me all through my career. Anyway, I better keep the story going or we'd be here forever so I um, uh, so I'm there in London um, cut a long story short I um, I worked for an agency down there I um, I didn't go to university um, I was uh, I was given the opportunity to work straight out of college into a design agency which I which I did um, and then I uh, eventually wanted to move to Nottingham which is where we are today in the heart of uh, Nottingham in the lace market brilliant um, and uh, what happened the reason for that was to get married to my lovely wife and so um, uh, we did that, got married up here. Um, I was freelancing in Nottingham for a bit, um, but I went to the bank, I was 19, wanted to get a mortgage, and the bank basically said, you've got to get a real job. I got a real job, um, I, uh, I headed up a small design team for basically a software company that was creating online software. Um, and I learned a lot about HTML and CSS, mm. and I basically was doing UI. UX design, although it wasn't called that. What sort, of, what sort of time are we talking about? What year? Oh, this is a good question. Maybe 2005, 2004, wow. 2005. Okay, so in the sort of growth spurt of the internet right now and software. Yeah, and Google. Less cloud, more DVDs. This is it. Yeah. yeah, and uh, what happened was, you know, I was of the opinion that like flash websites were amazing and then yes. I joined this, uh, you know, do you remember we used to design websites in like letterbox form? And I do. Uh, because nobody knew how to scroll back in the day. Yeah, um, it didn't exist, did it? It, it didn't, didn't exist. Didn't, people didn't scroll. It was one of the, all they actually happened in one space. So yeah, I was used to doing that. And then I joined this uh, this internet company and they were like, uh, you need to get on board with like HTML because Google is going to be amazing. And um, I learned a lot about SEO and the principles of that. Anyway, worked there for a bit, but I'm a storyteller. I'm a creative concept guy at heart. Still am, even now. And so what happened was I, um, I went to work for another agency who were here in the lace market in Nottingham and they were amazing. They had the, the global account for Fred Perry. So I, I really loved that. I, I was on a number of photo shoots. I worked with the creative director there who was, who was really great in terms of branding. So I got my first real taste of big brands mm. through bigger agency experience. And then I, um, in a, what basically what happened to me was um, when I'd moved up from London, I'd started a little blog called Attitude Design. And this blog had become very popular. In fact, I believe um, that it had become number one in the world for the term graphic design. So I was getting, I don't know, maybe 40, 50,000 people coming through my site. I'm, you know, at this time, I'm probably about 22. Um, we're probably talking about uh, 2005, 2006, maybe yeah. at this point. And uh, I'm getting inquiries for work, which when you work for an agency, as, as you, no doubt you know, Mark, um, you, get, you basically get owned by that agency. Yeah. So you have to give the work 
to the agency reps yeah, and, and then the account the, managers. The, the, kind of yeah, so basically I would reply to someone and say, yeah, we, I can work with you on that, but yeah. unfortunately I work for this agency, please speak to you know, X, Y, and Z over there. Mm. And then they would go and close the deal and now I get the job to do anyway yeah. in work hours, which was great. But after a while I kind of thought, mate, I could do this myself. So yes. I sat my wife down and we were like, I told my dad and my dad was like, son, we're working class. Like, <laughs> what do you think you're doing? Um, thinking about going out on your own, you're, you're, you're clearly deranged. Um, so anyway, I, uh, I still did it, um, much to my dad's surprise, I think. And uh, he was like, we're working class. I can never advise you in, in anything mm. if you take this route. So I said, thanks, dad. Uh, and off we went. So I started a small business uh, and I called it Attitude Design in my back bedroom in Carlton in Nottingham. And um, over the course of nine years, we, we grew from just me to 12 people, which Brilliant. is a fair size in Nottingham yeah. for, for an agency. Um, and uh, we basically did graphic design, web design um, and digital marketing as a kind of a base level offering. Multidisciplinary, Multidisciplinary, yeah. typical yeah. Uh, grab anything that moved kind of approach. Yeah. <laughs> um, we can talk about that another time, but yeah, I've been there, yeah. uh, never again. Um, and basically grew, grew the team. We, it was one of the things that, um, that, we, that, we, that I started to do though, and this probably is, fits into the story quite, quite nicely, was um, I started to realize there were a number of problems with, um, with the industry, I suppose, mm. in a weird way, with, with marketing generally and uh, the way businesses were set up to brief designers. Yeah. Um, and so we used to have huge problems with briefs and, and I found that sometimes I would do a job with a marketing manager, it would be absolutely great and they would love it and then they would take it, you know, marketing director or whatever, CMO, into the boardroom and the brief would completely change and mm. it would come back out and we'd have to start again. And I, I had a number of projects do that and I was quite frustrated. And what I realized was, was, look, I need to get into the boardroom, right? How do I, as a designer, um, get heard at the top yep. table? You know, to, not, not for my sake, it was mainly for my team's sake. Um, how do we get in there? And I had a chap I had employed who'd worked for Eon and he started doing these workshops. And I thought, what is this newfangled um, mythical workshop thing? So I, I sat in one one day and I just saw so much value in workshops. Um, the alignment of people's brains around a common framework and then and, and outputs um, and you know very rapidly getting decisions made um, in a strategic sense um, I saw huge value so I started building this out and I basically in the process of that started doing a huge amount of research in terms of business marketing and stumbled into branding and brand which we can talk about in, in a minute sure. but I for those years I basically um, used uh, sort of storytelling techniques to align leadership teams around uh, creative outputs as a brief and then I'd take that to my creative team and they would then design around it mm. and I found that, that this offering was a win-win all the way around um, and we had lots, much less back and forth with design teams because everybody knew kind of where the, uh, the, the business and the, and the, or the, the comms needed to go. Yeah. Right, fast forward again. So, um, I, Ruth and I, my wife and I, had had two kids, um, uh, which I mentioned at the start of the yeah. podcast. And um, in 2016, it got a bit hectic, a bit hairy. Like, we were just doing way too much. I was, I was running a team, growing a team, people management. I was um, consulting and doing design stuff. And, um, husband, father. And hus husband, yeah. yeah it was course, just, it was hard. just intense. And mm. so... I just remember one one evening we just sat down and we were just like this isn't this isn't what we imagined yeah. for our lives you know we kind of 
had sort of um, got into this situation where, and we couldn't easily get out and it was really difficult. So what we decided to do was look around to sell and an exit plan. And um, we found, uh, we found a, a local agency who were willing to, uh, to open up discussions. Yep. Um, and so we, uh, yeah, we did that. And one of the reasons um, that, that, was, that, that that was able to happen, I think, was because at Attitude Design, we'd actually managed to start getting in some really big companies. So this brand stuff had opened up a number of doors. And yeah. so I'd started doing work with Experian, Boots, Specsavers. We even had Nikon uh, as a client. And so- You were doing workshops with these guys? Or so, some of them, yeah. Right. And uh, I mean, it wasn't at the top level, obviously, mm -hmm. but it was within product teams yeah. um, and helping them frame their positioning. Um, and then, but normally we're coming at it from the perspective of they, they'd approach us for a design-based brief and then we would say, hey, we could do this added value awesome, and they found it hugely yeah. useful. So yeah, so um, so that was great because when we when we looked to to sell, that was you know that was something mm. I think um, that helped. But anyway, so we sold. I got absorbed in as an account manager um, to that team, and the basic idea was, was, look, you know, Matt, come on board and just try and get all the clients across, uh, yeah. you know, into the and get you, them comfortable with the with the bigger agency. Yeah. So it's actually better for a customer because they had access now to a bigger team and there was a better. Um, Definitely a better digital marketing arm sure. that they could uh, that they could kind of uh, tap into. So we did that, and then I was privileged enough to, within three months, be offered uh, the creative director role at that agency. So I helped sit on their board and, and help grow that agency. And in fact, I think it was 2016. It might be in 2017. We we won a chamber award for growth because we grew so, so so yeah. well, and we we were doing great. Mm -hmm. And um, I got headhunted basically by Capital One, and. Um, I got approached by Capital One to kind of go in and head up their creative team mm -hmm. in-house. So Capital One, Nottingham Base, huge organization. Yeah, they're, they're obviously global. Are they down by the station? Is that they right? are down by yeah. the station. They have a, I mean, they're split between Nottingham and Shoreditch okay. um, in London mm -hmm. um, by Old Street. And um, basically they'd in-house their design team, their creative Sorry, design in, team. In short, Capital One, for those listeners who may not know, who are Capital One, what do they do? So Capital One are a credit card company. Right. Um, so they're a fintech um, Company. They've been in the UK 20 years, I think, um, but they're American-based. So massive global company, a um, lot of resources. Right. And um, what attracted me to it was, in a, in a sense, because I was kind of selling my soul to the corporate devil in a way, um, but I'd never worked in-house before. And so I thought, this is missing from my repertoire yeah. for a start. Secondly, I thought, Do you know what? Um, I've always been in my career strapped for resources. Um, you know, recruitment, building a team has been tough yeah. um, because you have to obviously make sure your business is generating enough income to then recruit great people. Mm. And I always struggled with that, if I'm, if I'm honest. So to go somewhere where there was a lot of resources and, uh, and that wasn't an issue, but the issue was the people yeah. um, having the, uh, the power to, you know, I've realized I'm a bit power hungry. <laughs> to the power to build something special yeah. um, with that was really attractive. Um, and the other thing was, was they were rebranding. So um, they'd already started the process and uh, I was dead excited because I had the, uh, you know, the insider's view of how a rebrand works in a massive company. I think they've got over a thousand employees. And you, you were so brought on board to help with this rebrand? I was, that was, I think that factored into part of it. Um, but the, uh, the main thing was that they'd made the strategic decision to in-house their design team as part of their strategy for rebranding. And, um, and so they needed somebody basically who could run an in-house department. This was the brief, run, mm. run this team as if it's an agency, but in-house. Yeah. And as if all your clients, in effect, 
are you know within this business off Off you go Um, and so we had a great time I opened up new lines of intent into the team Um, we increased productivity through different processes and obviously bring in a a speed and a a turnaround and and techniques um, agile techniques which I'm a massive fan of Mm -hmm. into into to, to bear into this uh, into this uh, organization it really it was great we were doing great work but then basically um towards the end of last year there was a reshuffle and um and it was decided that um well i decided to to leave as part of that yep. and yeah and then that kind of brings us almost up to date whereas sort of i think it was uh, december last year i was sort of sat there thinking well what do i do next like hmm. i've I've uh, I've done a lot of stuff. Yeah. I've built a business, sold it. I've done all that. And but what I realised, Mark, was, and I don't know what you think about this. And I, and I hope I'm not going to upset any any of your your listeners by saying this. But I kind of a bit cynically have sort of started to come to the conclusion that design, as in graphic design, what, what I kind of grew up with, has become commoditized massively. Right. I agree. Yep. And. I don't like that, but I just think that's a fact that as designers we have to start to come to grips with. Mm. Um, and what I what I realised was was um, throughout all my journey is that you know with technology, with um, you know people, normal people in the street, in a sense can actually produce design work. It might not be brilliant, but it's it's acceptable for yeah. for what they deem is necessary. Um, and that has basically meant that there's a massive squeeze um, in terms of costs. And in in terms of a traditional design agency business model, and that led me to a number of sort of revelations, in a sense, um, around that. That really, where my value to the market was, was with using my experience, but was within my um, my kind of strategic thinking and my facilitation of alignment workshops. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so where I where I kind of realised I could start start adding some value was in consultancy, and. Um, and I, so moving from commodity to strategy, okay. um, to thinking. So I'll just give you a really basic illustration. So when you're in an agency world, a client comes to you and says, I need this deliverable, right? Yeah. And you as an agency account manager or whatever, they will look at that and they'll break it down and they'll, they'll basically think, well, this will take X amount of time. And then they put the hours in and then you have an hourly right. rate. Okay. Yeah. So everybody's has a rate card and everybody's, yeah. you know, basically as agencies, we become obsessed with rate cards and what, how much we're charging. But the truth of the matter is that, that our clients, they don't actually care really how long it's going to take you or how many hours it's, you know, you've got or your, or your hourly rate. All they care about is the result. Yeah. They care about the result, right? So the problem that you've got, and you have to do that when you're an agency because you've got overheads, you've got um, people, mouths to feed, you've got rent. Yeah. Um, and I th- uh, what, what, I've, what I've actually designed out is a completely different way of working and um, as a solo consultant where I, I only charge for results, it's value-based, I don't have an hourly rate, I don't have a day rate, I, uh, I charge by value, which, which is more of a partnership approach to working with, uh, with leaders. How, how is that measured? Because it's a question that I often answer, or ask sorry, my clients. If I'm, I'm working with a client and we're right near the project, I say, okay, I want to understand how you're going to measure this project's success. Um, a lot of clients would say it's revenue-based. It's going to be based on how much money we make at the end of the day. Um, if in 12 months' time we've made X amount, then it's a success. 
um, or is it going to be based on research data or, you know, it's how that gets measured. I mean, how, how do you think your clients are measuring the success? Of your it's a great question. I, I guess it comes down to the client, you know, yeah. and also success. Often people will say, yeah, it's, it's on the value. Um, yeah. And that's great. You know, so what, what value, what's the profit margin on it? You know, let's, let's talk the numbers because I need to know um, whether or not it's worth you spending money on me to get us there, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's one thing. The, sec the second thing is, is that there's always more stuff than money, right? Always, there's more value than money. What does it mean to the person individually, yeah. right? Do they get a promotion? You know, do they get more time with their kids? What is it that they're trying to achieve? Mm -hmm. um, and often the stuff I, I do, and I'll come on to this, I know we've probably gone on a bit of a, a detour. No, it's here, good, but, it's all good. It's all but, fixed yes, around. some of the stuff I do is, um, is, is more around... Um, kind of timings and delivery as well so so one of the things as a solo practitioner i can offer is uh, and, and having a different model which isn't time-based is um is to get you there quicker right so in other words if i'm an agency and i'm charging for my time um a client's got a problem they need to solve great um but it's in my best interest as an agency to drag the process on as long as possible why because i'm being paid by the hour yeah. So as a, with that, it, that's why that model, I think, is it, it works if you're commoditized. It works if you're churning stuff out from mm. a factory perspective. But it doesn't work if you're in this new world which we're in, which is agile, it's fast, and it needs, people need to respond. We need to respond quick to problems in the moment. And so companies haven't got six months to wait anymore. They need stuff out next week. So how do we, as designers, as creatives position ourselves in a way that we can actually start responding to that need yeah and that's where kind of um i i kind of eventually have found myself in a in a situation where we're you know i'm, I'm results focused yeah. um and i'm i can swarm with with other experts it onto projects where everybody who we're bringing into the room is uh is has got skin in the game yeah. highly motivated expert people who do it, it pays them to get the job done mm. quicker rather than uh, and, and good, you know, still got to hit the, you know, objectives, yeah. but rather than being paid to, to leisurely drag it on as long as possible. And now I know that's very cynical and, um, you know, I don't mean to upset anybody out there because... Well, these guys, these, these brands and companies will have critical paths that they have to follow mm. and certain milestones they know they've got to hit. Um, for sure. Uh, and I guess it'd be very dangerous for you to step in and say, listen, we'll get this project done um, and we need an open timeline for this. So I guess they're going to say to you, we've, we've got to have it delivered by this time because yeah. that's when our, you know, procurement have told us to do it for sure for sure i mean it depends what you're looking at and, and as i say all of this is very hypothetical because most of the stuff i'm doing is around leadership teams yeah um and strategic stuff which then filters out into smaller you know i say smaller more campaign-based marketing projects so yeah. for a campaign-based marketing project you've got your deadlines and you need to get stuff done um, quickly but you can't really start those until you've done the strategic pieces yeah. and it's those strategic pieces that give people the most headache oh, absolutely. Um, and it's those pieces which I think we need to be able to offer to people so they can get and as long as quick. people realise if you get those wrong at that front end it can mess up the whole the, the whole brand effectively for sure and I know that we spoke about it before um, just before we started the recording of the podcast um, certainly of recent recent years, I'm coming across a lot of design agencies who have uh, brand strategists um, um, within their teams. Some of them have teams within teams, so they're big brand strategy teams. Um, and some of these guys can be one of the most best well-paid people in, in the organisations, um, just simply because of their sort of minds. So moving slightly forward, I know from your, I know from your um, 
from your website, you focus on story-based strategic branding, uh, and I'm intrigued by this. So, what, what what is story-based strategic branding? It's a great question. So. Um, can I define a couple of terms first? Because I just find it helps, um, helps clear things up. Yeah. Um, so some people think of brand as a set of fonts, a logo, and some colors. Um, and probably if you'd asked me 15 years ago, that's probably what I would have told yeah, yeah. you a brand is. But the truth, the, the truth is I think that the, the meaning of brand has become um, a lot wider yeah. in its semantic kind of meaning in its range. Yeah. So I define brand now as as the meaning that people attach to you or your offering. That's the brand, um, which is mildly scary in a way because what that says is that you don't own it. Yeah. It says that that the brand is owned by your audience. It's yeah. in their hearts yeah. and minds and heads, okay. right? So therefore, we have to. You know, we have to manage that meaning, and that's how I define branding. Branding is the is the attempt to manage the meaning that people attach to you and your offering. Um, so that's the first that's the first sort of sort of definite set of definitions, which is really helpful to to kind of appreciate. And and so the next question, of course, is, is well, how do we manage meaning? Like, how does that work? Like, this is so abstract; it's yeah. really strange. Um, and so the the simplest. Um, and uh, crispest way, I suppose, of, of defining the management of meaning for me is with this with this idea of stories. Mm -hmm. So, if you just take it to a really simple, basic level, um, when we're born, obviously, as we grow up, we get presented with a number of stories: um, cultural stories, religious stories, storybooks, films, whatever it might be, which help us to make sense of the world and carried and packed in these stories are um, you know things that inspire us mm -hmm. things that warn us things that um, that entertain us and, and and spur us on and and help us to realize that we can overcome and we can survive and we can we can do great things with our life the psychologists tell us that um, without getting too down in the weeds but they tell us that in effect each of us has our own pre-written story in our heads which we actually right that's absorbed almost from our culture and, yeah. and from our upbringing and if we are in uh, alignment with that story or be you know succeeding what our expectations of where we should be in our story then we become quite happy as people but if some part of our life doesn't fit with our pre-written story then we can become quite unhappy mm -hmm. and so with that kind of idea in mind where story based branding comes in is that what what we find is that consumers they look for people and brands to help them in their personal stories mm. and so what i like to do is to, to to explain that to leaders and to almost take them outside of corporate babble and corporate strategic speech and say to them well that's all great but if you were a character in your customer's story what does that character start looking like? Do we even know what our customer's story is? What is their pre-written story that's in their heads? Yeah. What are they trying to achieve? What are their problems? What are their goals? What are their ambitions? And do you know us as a brand, as a collective group of people, as a business, um, and how are we articulating ourselves to that customer? And how are we actually, genuinely, and authentically helping them in their story? Um, and that kind of is the basis of story-based branding. One thing I, I missed out, Mark, was that when I went in-house, uh, I, 
I was asked by somebody to, to kind of write down some of the stuff I'd been doing when I was in agency. And they were like, Matt, you're going to lose it all. Like, you're going to go in-house, you're going to get all yeah, kushti, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which it was, and it was lovely. And they, you know, I was really looked after. But so I thought, oh, do you know what? I was working my notice and I thought, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put down all of the stuff I'd learned. And, and so I, I wrote a book called Storyatogy. And uh, the basis of that book is exactly what we've been talking about. It's about how to, how to create a story-based strategic um, strategy, which um, is all around brand. Um, and so it is about thinking about brands so differently um, than perhaps, uh, perhaps you, you would have done before. It's not a, not a set of fonts and a, and a, and a logo. Yeah. It is something bigger. So for me, branding, it actually encompasses four areas, well, four key areas within business. And some of my work, because I look at it like that, has actually been used in these areas. So the first is like your company culture, how your leadership team will align. Um, you know, I've even done stuff with HR teams in terms of articulating the core essence of the brand and, and why it exists and its mm. purpose. And definitely with leadership teams, it's got to start there. It's got to be, as I said before, as a designer, you know, I was always on the outside, but going strategic, you know, you can go into a boardroom and you, you, you soon can realize that everybody's not aligned yeah. and that's where their problems lie. And, and obviously trying to help them come together, the glue that sticks that alignment together is, I've found, the most powerful tool is stories. Do you find it difficult though? Do you find it difficult to sell in the idea of brand strategy to a, a group of people? Because there's a lot of those people who, a lot of, I'm imagining, let's say in, in a boardroom environment, picking numbers out there here, maybe 50-60% of those people in that team won't see the value in the strategy. For sure. It. They just see it as, a, as we talked spoke about before, the commoditization of it. Said, well, it's just a case of ticking boxes. It's a ticking box exercise. At the end of it, we're going to have a product or service. Yeah. It's where, a, does, where does the strategy fit in? It's, it's ironic, isn't it, that brand has a identity problem, yeah. right? <laughs> it's yeah, very ironic. Yeah. Um, and you're absolutely right. And to be honest, the, 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 the businesses that I tend to work with, I notice they all have one thing in common, which is they have a maverick leader yeah. who sees... The, the problem and need some help they to align it. Strategy. They champion it. Yeah. So to be frank, if I'm, I don't really want to work with a business that doesn't see value in what I'm going to do, and that's okay. They're not for me. Um, but if you if you have a maverick leader, CEO, um, who is uh, who who knows that they need to align and they need their story set, and that, that maybe they're you know, six, seven generations down from the original board that, that started, yeah. um, and they know they've kind of lost their way a little bit, they need some clarity, um, then I'm, I'm the man. Yeah. So the others, um, if they don't see value in it, you know, to be frank, you know, it's going to be tough for them because they're going to, everything's going to become very, very commoditized very, very quickly, and it's going to be a race to the bottom because they're not looking at meaning, they're not looking at, mm. at things sometimes from the customer's perspective. And the connection's lost, um, isn't it? The consumers don't lost. understand where the, where the brand is, where it's heading, and say, well, they're not for me, that brand doesn't connect with me, so you know, they'll get the consumer will go elsewhere. Most people like that, you say, why, you, why, why, do you, why does your business exist? And they say, oh, to, to turn over you know, yeah. 80 million this year. And you're like, well, that's great for you guys. But the consumer doesn't care. I don't care about that. Yeah. You know, what, why, why do you exist beyond making money? What's your real purpose? What's your impact in the world? Mm. Anyway, so culture, culture is one huge area. Yeah. The second is product development. Um, because if you know why you exist and your purpose, then you can constantly innovate around that to help your customers. So some, I've, you know, I've been doing loads of design thinking stuff with businesses, helping them come up with new ideas around serving their customers better. Um, and really, as I say, brand is, is not a veneer. It's got to be authentic. Mm. Um, the third is then kind of customer experience. 
as you know, how many businesses sit down and really think about the design of their customer experience all the way through. Um, and it's the same with employee experience. Do we sit down and think, well, this is why we exist. This is the meaning we want to yeah. put out into the world. And, and how are we designing you know, how our employees interact with us and grow and how are we measuring them? And are we connecting them with the brand or are we just expecting the brand to just wash over everything on top? Mm, yep. And then finally, then, and this is the, the funny thing is I actually put this at the bottom, marketing and comms, right, is the last bit. That is the veneer. That is the communication out. Yeah. Um, but the truth is the core of a brand is in its culture, um, you know, its HR department and that. And then its products, how it's innovating, mm -hmm. and then its customer experience. That so that's how I see it. Um, so it. that's story-based branding. Okay. Um, superb. Um, now, I'm going to bring this on to something slightly more meaty, cool. a better word. Um, so the question I've got down for you here is... Um, what are the biggest challenges you, you think that challenger brands and iconic brands face today when they're creating their own brand awareness? Okay, that's really interesting. I guess, I guess the biggest challenge to us today in our world is noise, right? Yeah. Because there's a million people who are probably in that category all attempting to make it um, and trying to stand out in a... In a you know in a sea of voices is really yeah, really tough. So for me, noise is the biggest the biggest thing for for customers. You know, it's noisy. I don't know which one to choose. Um, you know, if I'm going to kind of partner with somebody, that's yeah. tough. You know, who am I going to partner with? I've got a hundred suppliers, which is the best one. You know, it's so partners it becomes difficult. But also for for employees, we talked about like employee branding. Like, why should um, I? join one business over another business. Um, and so noise across all of those areas is, is huge. Um, I think the other thing to say is the biggest challenge is, I think is really being authentic mm. is a huge thing. And I've sort of touched on that. It's a big thing at the moment, isn't it? For all brands, authenticity for their personalities. Yeah, because I think it's, it's so easy to jump on a bandwagon and, and use, you know, design, yeah. uh, graphic design to kind of start creating a fake identity of, yep. of what you're about and you but you're going to be found out and mm. um, so you've really got to start as i say it's it all starts i firmly believe in the boardroom yep. with the leaders with what they're sort of why they exist and how they communicate mm. that inside and then that has to be established before really you do brand properly and you push outside so it's yep. inside out branding and so those consumers uh, i guess it's what they, they they're attracted now to personalities and I was just on my way in here today. Um, influencer marketing is a big term at the moment, and of course, people want to be able to associate with brands that they feel associate can associate with these influencers, for want of a better word. Um, I know that's a big thing right right now. Is that something you get involved in much? So, you know, I'm a bit skeptical about influencer marketing. Yeah. I, I worry that we're going down. We're using old techniques to to kind of try and um, and, and go into the new world. The truth is that we just need to make great products and we need to make great experiences. Mm. People will then talk about it for free yeah. for you on social media. You won't have to pay somebody, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds yeah. to, 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 to tweet a photo of them with the, your product in the background because they will just do it because they love it so much. Yeah, totally. So I think we're looking in the wrong direction. I think we're, we're starting on the outside. We're starting with the veneer. And the essence is we've got to look within our businesses at the experiences we're actually genuinely trying to bring to bear mm. for our customers. So 
you know, obviously it has value, it has short-term value. Um, and, you know, I'm sure there's, uh, there's a number of your listeners that will come, you know, be able to cite a number of case studies where it's like uh, completely turned a, a business around. Yeah. And, and I'm sure they, they exist. But for me, the best, the best marketing um, is authentic marketing. Word of mouth marketing has yep. always been the best way. Um, and now we have social media and influencers. But here's a challenge if you want to do that. How, here's a question, I guess. How could you create such a, such a product or such an experience that you get influencers without paying for them? Mm. That is, that for me is the essence and of it. And I think it's where you get that brand. You get that brand strategy right at that front end and people will understand and connect with your product or service. And there was something in the press of the day about brand influencers now being um, forced into actually um, communicating whether they've been paid to use that product. Mm. Uh, and I think that's going to make a big, huge change, and certainly in social media, when you have, I don't know, the Kardashians holding up a can of soft drink, or whatever it might be, and then actually stating, I've been paid to um, show, show using this. It's, yeah, it's shocking. I mean, yep. uh, so I just think it's going to get found out. I just think all of these things are shortcuts mm. to what we really should be focusing on, which is um, to make things better. I think Seth Godin says, to make things better, we've got to make better things. Yep. So. And I, I subscribe to that kind of line yeah. of thought. Um, but it's tough, right? It's tough. And mm. if we're in a, in a swamp marketplace, you know, it's tempting to go down these shortcuts. But let's, I, I want to encourage people to think outside of that and to think bigger and to, and to examine really the value of what they're doing to society, to the customer. And if you do that, it's a different way of looking at it. But then, you know, you're, you're destined to succeed. Um, so, yeah. I think so. And that, that connection is important. Throughout this week, I've just finished a very short book, which on your recommendation by uh, your friend Marty Newmeyer. Newmeyer, yeah. But great book, and I'd recommend reading it. It's called The Brand Gap. Um, essentially, it's a very, very easy to digest book on um, brand interpretation and brand thinking. Um, it, it, it's quite easy to consume. Um, one of the takeouts, there's lots of sand bites in there, but one of those, which I think segues onto this sort of quite comfortably, is it talks about design having four possible goals. Identity to inform, entertain and persuade. But branding brings a fifth element to it, and that's just to differentiate and differentiate with, again, I think where we're talking about brands attaching themselves to consumers, consumers attaching themselves to brands, the only reason they do that is if they're different sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a question of why do... You know, I, I guess a lot of people that go into business because they want to do something that makes a difference and then yeah. they find themselves in a commoditized world and they, they, they compromise and they sit back and they, they, it becomes about spreadsheets and, and, mm. but, and PowerPoints and bar charts and then they get into the politics of the place and they lose the, you know, the, the essence of probably why you know, they got into business in the first yeah. place. Marty's amazing. Um, yeah, tell me a bit about Marty. You did a course with me, didn't you? Yeah, so um, yeah, a, a brand masterclass in, uh, in London. I can tell you a bit about my story, Marty. He's, um, he's a, a kind of a, a brand guru, um, Silicon Valley mm -hmm. in America. Um, did a, he was in packaging, actually, um, originally in his career. Yeah, there's a section there on packaging. Yeah, it's yeah. really interesting. I mean, he, um, he'd, he'd worked with Apple and Hewitt-Packard and stuff. So yeah. 
it was amazing. I mean, he's coming to the end of his career, I guess now, um, but still got so much wisdom, and I absolutely, yeah. absolutely love him. So what happened was, was I went. You know, when I told you I was at Attitude Design, and I was yeah. looking around, researching um, potential workshop material for workshops, and really thinking about marketing and strategy and design and and brand. I came across a slide share presentation called um, the Brand Gap, which is the book that you've read mm -hmm. in a condensed form, and I was looking for definitions of brand that were more than just uh, you know a logo right yeah. and marty has this definition which is awesome which is um that brand is the gut feeling people have yeah. um about your product or service or, or, or so he um he defined it like that which was hugely inspirational to me um as i kind of framed this new way of thinking about mm -hmm. design but not only that is you know marty kind of is a graphic designer by trade as well there's so many similar things in his story to mine yeah um so I found him quite an inspirational figure and I've actually bought and read a number of his books. Um, and throughout sort of my sort of last, I don't know, five, six years, I uh, reached out to him on LinkedIn and, um, you know, thanked him, asked him some questions. And, you know, he was so generous with his time. He's such a lovely man. And he, um, he actually invited me to help proof his most recent book, which is called Scramble, which is amazing. Wow. And uh, yeah, yeah, you, mm. you need to. It's all about agile strategy. It's, you know, it basically champions some of the things I've been talking to you about, which is where you get the right people in the room at the right time to solve the problem, yeah. as opposed to going off into a back room with your team and six weeks later coming out with something that may not be right or, or not, sure. you know. So it's kind of about really kind of prototyping and delivering stuff from an identity, but also from a product innovation perspective all in a whirlwind. Anyway, and it's a thriller. It's a business thriller. So it's written like a like a story, right? <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So um, you know, Marty's uh, really inspirational. But yeah. he, what what's, what was amazing was is that he um, invited me to one of his uh, brand master classes. That he's his first one. Um, he's uh, basically started a, a business called Level C with a chap called Andy Starr. And um, the plan is is that if they've got various accreditations, um, because one of the things we have as brand, I call us brandsters, is that there isn't a huge amount of validation for what yeah, we're doing. Absolutely. Huge value, not a lot of validation. Mm. So I was really interested in that. Um, and so we had uh, 50 professionals I joined in the Barbican in London, and we went through... Um, Are they, were these designers? Are they creatives? What a huge of, mix. What designers, creatives, strategists, uh, marketing people, agency, in-house... You name it, just people who were who who were also believed that brand was more than a set of logos and a font. Yeah. So I loved it. Um, you know, to, to network with people like that um, was was incredibly uh, inspiring. But Marty himself, you know, was 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 great, and I'd actually got him to speak as well when I was at Capital One at a few of our events, oh, uh, and I'd put his name forward, and yeah. that had happened. So I've got to know him over the years, and um, who knows, we you know we may do more stuff in the future, but. Um, but I definitely recommend anybody who's interested in this as an introduction to this type of thinking, The Brand Gap by Marty, but any yeah. of his books are, are super. I think The Brand Gap, this, I think that was 2006 that was written. Yeah. You're, certainly when you're reading it, there's references in there to sort of, I mean... Like Coca-Cola being number one or something. That's right, and Nike and using, yeah. again, those traditional sort of brand uh, brands that people talk about when they talk about the most successful brands, um, and Google amongst others. Uh, but the references are relatively old, but... The learning in there, it's still relevant today. It's, we were talking before about 
there are some some of the oldest books in the world that people still refer to now. Mm. Um, Absolutely. I mean, there's another one that I was hugely influenced by, which is um, called The Hero and the Outlaw, Outlaw mm-hmm. by Margaret Mark and Carol S. Pearson, which is probably lesser known even than, than, yeah, than <laughs> yeah. Marty's books. But that one introduced me to the power of archetypes mm-hmm. and um, this idea that within stories, there are like 12 key characters that pop up. And I use this within my work. Um, I've, I've used it for years with creative teams and clients and um, even more now in boardrooms, which it sounds a bit weird, but in, a, in effect, you can start to, to help leaders to kind of figure out, as I say, this kind of character. Who is it? Is it a sage? Do people go to them for knowledge? Or yeah. are they like a, an explorer guide? Are they going to help the customer get up the mountain to put the flag in at the top? Or are they a hero trying to save the the customer from a terrible evil or you know you can really dramatize it and it's a bit of fun but at the same time there's some serious stuff behind it and and my next thing is um i'm talking to uh to a research scientist uh, a neuroscientist um in uh, zurich actually um who has done a number of exciting things tying customer research to these archetypes and so watch this space for some uh, for some future stuff around that so it you know really helps to validate from a scientific perspective some of these really abstract sort of strange yeah. storytelling it's called neuromarketing yeah. and and um yeah it's it's uh, it's it uses a lot of uh, machine learning and algorithms but yeah. ultimately um there there's a consumer test that can yeah. take place which then can help you see how consumers are seeing your brand from yeah. an archetypal perspective like why are they going to you mm-hmm. um and then from there you can then take strategic decisions um to see you know to bring the most value course, yeah. so it, it, it's, it's, it's just huge it's going to be massive and i think this story stuff is you've not heard the last of it is it, i know some people are a bit skeptical it's a bit fluffy but um but i'm a designer so i love a bit of fluff but also yeah. but also there is some tangible science behind it from a yeah. psychological perspective so it's all good perfect mm. now um, I mean, we've probably covered a lot of the stuff I, I originally sort of scamped out of things to cover for today in terms of um, your opinions on growing a brand um, through social media or again, brand ambassadors and tone of voice, visual language. I mean, anything else you want to add in terms of what we've already discussed in, uh, about the, from the marketing perspective? So I guess I guess you've Grab got to brand. yeah you've got to know your you've got to know your story yeah. and you know I would sort of sort of say you've got to know your char- what character you're playing in your customer's story you've got to know who they are mm-hmm. uh, and you've got to know why you exist you're not you're not here for everybody right you're here for you know the the particular type of person you're trying to to help yeah. you're here to serve them so you've got to know them in depth you've got to know your customer then you've got to you've got to make better things um, that actually work through innovation, design thinking, and, and product development. But then finally, you know, the, the final bit, as I said before, is really your marketing and your comms, yep. which is where you tell that story um, yourself, but also, even more powerfully, if you can enable your customer to tell that story, even better. Yep. Um, so I, I, obviously there's huge value in inbound and outbound marketing strategies, and I've, I've you know, done a lot of, of work with those. And when you, when you kind of design, you know, look and feel, you need to make sure it's all unified yeah. and it's uh, giving the right visual triggers to, so that people associate the right meaning with you. And that's why archetypes are super helpful, right? Sure. So if you, I'll just use the example of a sage again. Sages exist as the gatekeepers of knowledge. 
And so if you know that that's why you exist and your customers need that, then when you're doing all of these activities, and there's so many, isn't there, for, mm. for businesses to, 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 to consider, when you're looking at you know, your social media, are you sending out signals that say, we exist to give you knowledge? Or are you tweeting photos of, you know, you on a beanbag playing ping pong? You know, these are the things that you need to think about. You need to, going back to the first point, manage the meaning. Yeah, it's incredibly hard, though, isn't it, to know and understand what, what sort of message you want to put out. Um, certainly in terms of advertising yourself and marketing yourself as a business and as an organisation, do you want, how much of your personality do you put through? How much of your business offering do you share? And how much of your... Um, your team do you share and their personalities and individuals personalities within your team I think it's, it's trying to understand in nowadays what what you need to market yourself at and how you market it becomes it's, it's, it's so complex it's huge it's huge so just to kind of decompartmentalise that a little bit mm. just going back to my model which I've mentioned from an archetypal perspective you know if you know why you exist Simon Sinek, I don't know if you've come across yes. him, TED Talk, um, yeah. fantastic, recommend that to your, to your readers, yeah. you know, start with why, and he's written a book and various things. Yeah, his, he, champion, he basically says that most people know what they do, you, you, you probably know how you do it, but, but not a lot of people can easily explain why they do what they do. And it's in the why that the emotion comes, and it's in the why that we wanna join. And so taking that and putting that into a brand perspective, you know, why we exist, is crucial and from an archetype perspective it helps to illustrate visually and through messaging and tone of voice mm. why we exist from a big picture perspective but the first stage is you've got to get your leaders together to agree that we are all we all get out of bed in the morning for this great cause yeah. which is going to help the world in some great way and so that's obviously you know shameless shameless plug here that's what i do that's what i help leaders do and once they get that then all this other stuff cascades out yeah um, and so when we come to then um, brand marketing, which is you know, general messaging around the brand, I always suggest let's focus on why we exist. You know, let's put out messages around that. Let's, let's focus on our customers and helping them and give them the messages that they need to succeed and, and help them. Um, but then you might have particular products you're releasing and you'd have to do campaign-based stuff. But it all needs to link and feed into the core of, of why you exist. And ultimately, as I say, if you've made something phenomenal, you don't need to do huge amounts if you've, if you've made something great. Yeah. So it actually comes down to, down to, as I said before, inside out. Yeah. You do it right inside. Stop focusing so much on the veneer and start focusing on the reality of what you're really bringing to the world. Yeah, I, and, I completely it. see what you're saying. It makes absolute sense. Um, it's educating those leaders though that that's what needs to be done and it's can you be brought on in time because i'd imagine that a lot of the projects you get involved in they'll bring you one almost too late and say, well, we, yep. if you'd have started me with me six months ago we could have had this one done so much quicker and more yep. effectively you, you've already wasted not only time and money it's it's funny i mean i'm getting more and more inquiries um to get involved earlier yeah. um, with products. Uh, and so, you know, people do get it. A lot of entrepreneurs get it. You know, they have a vision. They've got something that they know they want to bring to the world. Sure. Um, and entrepreneurs understand it. The issue with entrepreneurs, of course, if they're just starting out, is they don't have huge budgets. And so, you know, investment is tough. 
And but, speed. They want it and speed. They want it quick and they've got no money. Yeah. But, but some of them have got money and they're willing to invest it in this and they see the value. Um, but then, so that's one sort of type of, of business that I kind of work with. There's another type which is, is, is you know, is, is a lot older, as I say, fifth, sixth generation board members. Um, and, they're, and, they, and they maybe have this maverick leader who is ready to make yeah. change. And they're they know the they've got a, businesses. Is, they're is massive. Like a, it's a titanic, trying to move them around. This is going to take a long time. So, yeah, so they need a catalyst in there to change it up. Yeah. And um, being an outsider coming in, I found that that's, uh, that's, that's beneficial because mm-hmm. um, there's no politics attached to me. Um, you know, I don't have the uh, I don't have all the answers, but I've got frameworks that I can yeah. help um, tease information out and align those teams together, and then we can work on how that cascades out into the business. Um, and that's where you know where I where I excel really. I have great fun doing Absolutely. all that. Yeah. Okay. Well, rounding that whole sort of bulk of information out because there's <laughs> so many gems in there. Um, something which I always look for are opportunities now. What do you think that companies and brands out there could be doing at the moment that they're not uh, in terms of opportunities that you can provide so, or help with? So, I, yes, it's, a good, it's, a, it's really good to think about opportunities with this different way of looking at brand. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, as a designer in terms of marketing, I think we're quite... F- most people are relatively familiar with some of the concepts from a design and, and yep. brand, you know, perspective. But where the opportunities lie in some, are in some of the other areas of business which haven't traditionally sort of come across design thinking. You know? So the way that I see design is, and this has stayed with me, it's all around that purpose piece, right? So we're here today and um, we as creatives can imagine a better future. Yeah. We can imagine a new product. We can imagine um, you know, the, the, the business grow, growing to, uh, to some new place. And design fills the gap between reality and the vision. We as designers can figure out each sort of way of getting to that to that destination. And so design for me really sits in that and it's chaotic, right? As designers, we know it's chaotic. That's why agile strategy and scrambles, as I call them, are 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 really fun. Because as a designer, I know how it really works is that, you know, a designer gets a project and they're working on a bit and then they ping pong ideas around and then they go back to the one that they started with and they discard it and they go somewhere else. And it's pure chaos. Um, but the truth is, is that's how creativity works. And ultimately, if you really want to differentiate, you need to have lots of different thinking and, um, and lots of different ways of, of innovating in the room at the okay. same time. That's how I believe it works, uh, to come up with something new, something different. If you only stay with what you know, you're never going to go into the, to, to the unknown. Are you, are you suggesting that in terms of organisation, you want to bring that design thinking, not just into the, sort of the, the creative departments as such, but bring that creative thinking into the, I don't know, the finance department, the HR department. These people need to be creative thinkers in order to sort of move their... I think design's the future, forward. to be yeah. honest. I think we're moving from the robotic, uh, you know, from the industrial era where yeah. everything was sort of uh, linear into the robotic era where if it's linear a robot's going to do it yeah so how do we add the how do we add the value through creativity mm-hmm. and that's that's where that's why designers are in a really strong place yeah but so so to answer your question you know yes i do think like hr departments like design your employee experience from start to end you know someone joins you what are you doing with them to help them understand the brand why they exist the bigger vision for the company mm-hmm. and then as they go through your 
you know, your, your business, um, how are you um, analysing them? Are you asking them questions on a regular basis? Like, how, how have you contributed to exhibiting the brand values yeah. this, this quarter? Or, you know, um, are you rating them against the values of the brand? Or yeah. are you just looking at their sales figures, for example? Mm. Um, and I think that sometimes we lose... That's a huge opportunity in, in the HR departments of of really getting employees engaged with the brand so that they can they're on the front line they're the ones talking to people they're the ones creating a lot I of experience for you know um, people's personal development plans including and incorporating brand messaging and how are you expressing uh, the organization's true opinions and thoughts and, uh, as a brand it's powerful but what you sometimes find and Mark, against is, it as well yeah well, what some, what you sometimes find is the the brand values internally differ to the brand values that they they have on their website yeah and so yes. what i think we have a, a huge problem in business with external veneer yeah. not marrying with internal um truth right so it's about aligning those two things together yeah and saying look this is why we exist and if our brand value for example is honesty right and then then bringing it internally and externally let it let us show people where we get our yeah. products sourced from because we're honest and let us also never lie to each other. And what happens if we do lie? What are the repercussions? Yeah. You know, and if we're not lying, if we're really honest, how are we rewarding stuff for, for that? You know, and so one idea I came across recently, which was from Gino Whitman's book, uh, Traction, which is a great kind of um, a business book about how to basically uh, to run your business as a, uh, and uh, in a kind of a clockwork fashion. It's brilliant. Mm -hmm. He suggested um, this, this idea, which was um, when you understand your brand values, um, say there's five or six brand values as you're living your um, those values yeah. when you can have a little routines and initiatives right and one of those could be this so I see that Larry is, uh, is, is exhibiting one of these values so I then have uh, I don't know 30 pound M&S vouchers it becomes standard and I, I basically can nominate somebody it's my turn so I nominate Larry I say Larry has exhibited the value of honesty um, and here's the example of what he did and Larry wins 30 quid of M&S vouchers. Now, now it's Larry's turn. So next week, Larry gets to nominate someone else. Um, but it has to be because they've exhibited one of the values. Yeah. And these emails get circulated throughout all the organizations. So what we then start doing is recognizing, championing, creating stories around the values that we've got within yeah. the organization and rewarding it. Um, in a really open way. And then the rule, obviously, is that you know you can't be nominated, I don't know, within a two-month period of being yeah, nominated before. Otherwise, you get one person who basically owns shares in, yeah. in, in, in M&S at the end. Exactly. But, um, but, you know, so that's an idea. So in terms of um, other opportunities, you know, I think um, you've got um, in product innovation, I think there's huge opp opportunities there. I think people yeah. get so bogged down in, in, in the space they're already in. There's, some, there's a theory that's, that I've come across which is awesome. It's called blue ocean thinking. I don't know if you've heard of this. But um, the basic idea is, is that there's, there's two oceans. It's there's bigger a, than blue, thing, blue sky, I think. It's, 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 yeah, it's bigger than that. It, it's, um, it's, it, the idea is, is that we're in a red ocean. If you're in a red ocean, there's loads of sharks running around. It's cramped. Everyone's fighting each other for the same piece of the pie. Yeah. But what if you could create something that was so different that you swam off into the nice blue ocean over there that, that you're the only fish in, right? And a great example of that is, um, is Nintendo Wii. Mm. Um, they couldn't compete with, uh, 
with uh, you know Microsoft and PlayStation in terms of the graphics and in terms of the types of games that those companies were, were churning out and the yeah. offering. So what they did was they completely rethought the console and they thought, well, okay, these are these are aimed at you know 18 to 35 year old men, um, and they're you know that's where that market is. They could have stayed there, but they knew they couldn't compete, so they had to look at. Um, what they were doing so they kind of thought and they did loads of research you know how do we get grandma to start engaging with uh, with console games and they completely reinvented <laughs> yeah. the way that we interact with computers and so that's a great example so when the Nintendo Wii launched was it great graphics no mm. but what they did was they made it accessible for families for communal gaming and uh, it was a blue ocean yeah. and so they mopped up and, uh, and, you know, I think that's a huge... I mean, they're, they're, these are big companies. You can do it with the smaller companies yeah. as well. You just need to combine and flip things on their head. So one exercise I do is if you've got a category... I think this may have even come from Marty, actually, but it's a great exercise. If you've got a category that you're in, write down all the assumptions, uh, you know, that, that you have about that particular product category... So, you know, you do a lot of stuff with beer, for example, mm. I've seen on, on yep. your site, Mark. So we might write down, you know, I drink it out of a bottle. It has a wraparound label. It has a, um, a, a, a metal bottle top, you mm. know, that, that goes when I open yeah. it. You know, you could write all of these things down. I can buy it in crates. I can, whatever, I drink it on a hot day. I don't know, whatever it is. And you can even get your customers to do this, right, even stronger. And then take that list and run a session and look at each assumption and say, well, what if we, could we flip any of these assumptions? Like, what if we didn't do it in a glass bottle? What would, what would that start looking like? Yeah. What would beer being drunk out of a carton look like? Yeah. You know, now suddenly we're starting to go into a blue, a blue ocean. No yeah. one else is doing that. Or maybe, I mean, I'm not in your sector, so <laughs> maybe they are and I'm ignorant. But, you know, there, there, there are things that you can start doing. And, but then it's more than that. It's like, okay, if I assume I buy it, from Sainsbury's, okay, or a, or a shopping uh, shopping market, supermarket. What if we looked for different routes to market? You know, and so basically, you can from a from a, you can really start to differentiate yourself hugely different if you just look at all of the things that people expect, but then think outside the box, flip flip the assumption, yeah. um, and now we're into a whole new world. But you can only really do that along the lines of your purpose. And the reason you exist and your story and in my from my perspective your archetype you've got to you've got to know that first before you start innovating mm. out into those areas so I hope that helps you know massively I mean fundamentally I think we're talking we're actually almost coming around 360 we opened up with authenticity and that's exactly what that's about about a brand being completely authentic for how it is what it's about and entirely honest um, so Matt, I've listened and I've had so much of your time today. I really do appreciate it. Pleasure. Um, what I'm going to do is just to close off the podcast with uh, quite a nice little question, actually. is What advice would you give uh, the younger Matt starting out in his, his career? So what would I advise my younger self? Um, well, I had a science teacher, and I'm really sad because I can't remember his name, but he once said, we were coming up to uh, exams, and he said, uh, guys, he said, uh, knowledge is power. And I'm going to give you the knowledge that you need to get through this exam. Um, and, uh, and, you know, he, he gave us the GCSE revision guide. And he was like, you just need to know everything in here and you'll pass this exam. So don't stress. You'll be fine. And I think um, that sort of advice, I wish I'd have pay, paid more heed to it. Knowledge yeah. is power. And so my advice to my younger self would, have, would be to read more business books mm. when I was younger. Um, 
I, I read avidly now and I find, uh, I find it hugely beneficial, but I wish I'd have, I'd have read more. Yeah. I wish I had more knowledge. I think everything's so accessible now. You have audio books, printed books, audio books for in the car if you're commuting and you don't have space. I mean, I've spoken about before on other podcasts where commuting to me is the best time to absorb information and be it reading a book when you're cramped up on the tube and you've got your book stuck into your face or you've got your headphones in. Um, there are so many opportunities now to, to, to bring, bring on board information. Yeah, definitely. And uh, just to uh, segue nicely, if you, if, you, if you also want another easy read, my book, Story Attitude is... Sorry, is, I was going to bring <laughs> it up. So tell me about that book a little bit. We'll, sure. just, we'll round off on that, shall we? That yeah, that's fine. So finish up on. So yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a weird name, you know, unlock the power of your brand mm -hmm. with a story-based branding strategy. And um, so basically, it's a six-step um, kind of uh, process, yeah. which, um, which goes through a lot of the principles that we've talked about, actually, in, in, our, in our podcast today. Um, in effect, it helps leaders. It takes you takes you through a, a you know a leadership program. In effect, where you can sit down with your leaders, get them all together, and look at um, look at the business from the perspective of a, a story. Looking at the rough overall purpose of the business, yeah. then then moving into designing your audience, then looking at um, your archetypal characters, like who are you, who's the customer, looking at. Um, Defining the evil, I call it, which is like, if we stand for this, what do we not stand for? What's our manifesto? What's our, our, our belief system? Um, and that, that helps with recruitment, mm -hmm. right? And then um, putting that all together, there's, um, there's meta plots, which I use a lot, which, um, which are like archetypal characters, yeah. but typical types of stories, uh, you know, beginning, middle, end. But like, there's different ones of those as well that you can use as tools. And then finally, you know, once you understand your brand story and you've got all of that together, uh, how you then start setting your strategy for living it. So that's okay. um, some of the things we talked about, about internal um, prompts and systems and routines Lovely. right the way through to, to telling it outside the organisation. Who is the book aimed at? Who would be the, sort of your, your perfect customer? My, uh, my, my book is aimed at the, uh, the maverick, the leader maverick, ah. who, uh, who values this stuff or has heard about it and, uh, and needs to change the business for, for whatever reason. They need alignment, they need to... Uh, to do things uh, differently, and that, so that is one. And the other one is the the, the entrepreneur, the one who wants to to start it all up and, and do it properly from Lovely. the beginning. So yes, yeah, so where, the two where I talked about. Um, so it's on Amazon. I'm sure we can leave a, a link somewhere yeah, for, for, for your readers. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So just Google uh, story. Uh, audio book soon. Um, <laughs> maybe, yeah. On, well, now you've mentioned that, yeah. maybe you've given me something to think about from a from a customer I perspective. Because it's I certainly find that a lot of, at the moment a lot of my time is spent in traveling, and the audiobooks are the best way for me to sort of take on info like that. Um, and also, you can make notes at the same time. So I think it's a great idea. So yeah, watch this space then. Absolutely. Thanks, Mark. Matthew, thank you very much for your time today. Really appreciate it, and uh, look forward to reading your book. Actually, and, uh, I'll come back to you with my review. <laughs> yeah, Tom please Mark, do. Sure. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for your time. Uh, and I really appreciate and I'm humbled by, uh, by, by being involved in your project. So keep up the good work. Thanks.